uh, I think in looking at this, I think Psalms 20 is related to Psalm 21. Okay, Psalm 20, uh, you remember from Sunday we were saying about how this is a ki- uh, king's prayer for, uh, in preparation for praying for victory before war, right? And the people's prayer. Psalms 21 is the other side. Now that victory is granted, now that God has given victory for the king, what should our attitude be? Should be one where we what rejoice, okay? Uh, so in looking at this, I'm just going to begin with some introductory notes first. Um, some introductory note in verses. Uh, in this, this is obviously by David because in our English verses one above that is what a psalm of David. You guys see that, okay? Uh, and I think it is a royal psalm uh, because it does talk about king and also military matters. And here we see military matters more. Of talking about enemies, okay? And then you see also weapons mentioned, right? The spear uh, mentioned, for instance, I think in verses 12, bow, strings, um, right? And and fighting enemies also as well, okay? Um, Psalm 21 and 20, I think, is related, be, uh, like I mentioned earlier. Um, one, Psalm 20, the one before, is about praying for victory for the king. Psalm 21 knows, okay, God's given victory. Our response is what? We should celebrate, Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, both psalms refer to king. For instance, in Psalm 21, verse 1, right, the king will be glad. You guys see that? And then if you look at Psalm 20, uh, Psalm 20, it mentioned in verses uh, 9, the word king is also mentioned also as well, okay? So you see the reference to king. Uh, the other thing you see is, uh, in, in light of this, I think uh, verses 1 to 6 specifically is actually uh, the praying. Uh, to God, thanksgiving. The request that has been in all of Psalms 20, now it is, okay? And this is important because uh, even as we talk later about application, is sometimes when we, we pray, sometimes, do you guys, are you guys like me? Sometimes I pray more for requests before it happens, but I don't pray as much after God answers. I might say thank you, God, but it's really brief. Anyone has that same problem? Um, but if you look at Psalm 20 and versus Psalm 21, which one is more longer? Which one's more longer? 21. Yeah, Psalm 21. 13 verses, okay? Uh, even in terms of words, there's more. So I think this should actually challenge us also as well to grow that we pray not just only for requests, but also as much so even thanking God for the particular of God's work, okay? So in light of this today, uh, how I uh, today's sermon I titled uh, Celebrating God's Given Victory, okay? Celebrating God's Given Victory, okay? Uh, so in light of this, uh, with this, Thank you. Um, so you see uh, two points, uh, two points, it's okay, uh, two points, okay, uh, I see uh, point number one is rejoicing in the past victories from God, uh, so one is more past tense, we rejoice in God's given past victory, this is in verses 1 to 6, and in verses 7 to 13 is we also should anticipate the final, the future final triumph of God, okay, so one is past tense, verse 1 to 6, we should rejoice in God's what? Uh, the victory, victory from God, okay? Uh, then in verses, uh, that's 1 to 6, and then the second one is anticipate final f- future triumph of God, verses 7 through 13, okay? I think this is probably the best way of outlining it. Um, there's one commentary I read, they tried to make a three-point outline. I think they were trying to make it everything three, but I think it was a little forced. Um, but I think this is probably the best way to go about it, Okay. So in light of this, let's look at the first one, is rejoicing in the past victories from God. And by the way, as we look at this, I think it also should challenge us to be thanksgiving, mm-hmm. of people that are thankful to God. I know Thanksgiving, the holiday, just passed last week. But at the same time, we should always be, what, Thanksgiving should be a life, what, 
style, not just a uh, what holiday. Okay. So in light of this, let's look at the uh, point number one: is rejoice in the past victories from God. Okay. This is verses one to six, and verses one and two. I think the way it does this is the first two verses is general statement. And then verses 3 to 6, I think there's a, a change in the Hebrew that we see in tenses. That we see, I think, what verses 3 to 6 is zooming in. You guys ever, you know, now that a lot of us have smartphones, you guys ever see a picture on your phone? And what do you do when you have your hands, three fingers, point to it, and then stretch, uh, it's, it zooms in, okay? So I see verses 1 and 2 is a general statement, is a basic statement of recognition of God's goodness. And then verses 3 to 6 gives more particular details. Of what, what it is that we rejoice in God delivering us, okay? Now remember the context. Originally, this is the context of David praying, or earlier God's people's praying uh, for him as king for victory. But now that there is victory given, there should be praise, okay? So verses 1 to 2, I'm going to read this again, okay? It says, O Lord, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. And then it says Salah, which I think in Hebrew is actually trying to say pause for some musical instrument, okay? An intentional pause, okay? So verse 1 to 2 I see is basic recognition of God's goodness, okay? Uh, we should also challenge us, do we think about God's goodness, right? Even in the midst of war, and even in the midst of trials, we should be able to say, hey, Lord God, we still see you are what? Good also as well, okay? Verses 1 to 2 is, uh, and here this is a prayer of the people, Okay? Actually, turn back with me to Psalms 20, verses 5. Psalm 20, verse 5. It will uh, sing for joy over your victory, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Yeah, remember Psalm 20 before is the people asking God for victory? They're, uh, they're telling the king, hey, we're looking forward, and we're praying to God for victory. So verses 5 makes it clear that if there's victory, what are, gonna, what, what are the people going to do in verses 5? They're going to what? Set up banners. Uh, yeah, and then specifically they will what? Sing for? Joy. For your? Victory. Yeah, sovereignty or your victory, okay? Now that there's victory, you see verses 1 and 2 is really, they're, they're, this is what they're living up to Psalm 20. Do you guys see how Psalm 20 and 21 are related? Okay, they said earlier, if there is victory, we will celebrate. And now there is victory in verses 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. They're praying to God. Notice they're not talking to king now. They're saying, oh Lord, which shows what? It's addressing God, evocative, right? In your strength, the king will be glad. So they're singing praises to God for the great victory, okay? They're living out the verses, what they said earlier. If you look at verses 1, they're not celebrating a king's strength, which often you see in a lot of Middle Eastern songs in the time period, ancient Near East, and even in the Greco-Roman world. They would sing the strength of the kings forever and the wisdom. But here, this is God-centered praise, okay? It's not just praising the king. This is going to God and saying what? In your strength. Do you guys see the word in your strength? Oh Lord, in your strength. By the way, verses 1 says this. And look at verse with me in verses 13. Does it also say, Oh Lord, in your strength? Yeah, okay. So verses 1 and 13 is like the, uh, it's sandwiching this in, okay? It's a, a deliberate design of saying, hey, this is focusing on the praises of who? Of God, okay? It's not just celebrating a king, how great a king is in his victory. Though God uses that mean, but it's saying here, hey, it is God's strength that gives what? Us or a king or anybody victory. I got an observation. Go ahead. It says, O Lord, in your strength, and then there's a semicolon. Yeah, okay. Yeah, in the verses 13, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So I think we see here um, that is God's strength. And here the praises here, specifically, 
is they're praising God. There's joy. They're praying to God that the king's joy also will be based upon God's strength, not their own strength. Do you see that? It says, in your strength, the king will be glad. So they want the king to be glad with victory, but they also don't want to misplace hope. They want the king's gladness to be centered on whose strength? His own? His army? Or in God, okay? In God. Okay, very good, okay? In Yahweh's strength. Yeah, this prayer, so we see very clearly also as well, it recognizes that God hears a prayer of the king. If you look at verses 2, it says, You have given his heart's desire. Look back with me to Psalm 20, verse 4. Josh, could you read Psalm 20, verse 4 again? Or not earlier. Grant you your heart's desire and fill all your counsel. Yeah, remember earlier we saw that there, we should be praying for the king or the leaders um, that there will be aligned with what? God's will. Right. And that whatever the king wants, the heart's desire, hopefully it's godly and God will answer that. But now in verses 2, he's saying, You have given him. He's saying, The other side say, You have given. So you guys see how Psalms 20 and verses 21 are interrelated? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, I feel the more I read the Psalms with commentaries, because some of these things I don't notice myself, but the more I see there is the Psalms is actually placed. Um, there is a divine design. Uh, okay. There's an intelligent design between this, uh, uh, with the Psalms. Okay. In fact, I'm actually looking forward already to next week. Psalms 22, 23, and 24. Um, it's going to be for December. I think it's so beautiful because Psalm 22, 23, and 24, I think is. Messianic Psalms, sure. okay? Um, even you can see um, history of, of the Messiah, both His first coming, His first advent, and His second advent, also being predicted in Psalm 22, 23, and 24, okay? But before this, we see the celebration of the king thing. And actually in Psalms 21, I think it's already beginning to see beyond just the human David king and looking beyond to the future Messianic king. As we read here, it's talking more than, I think, hinting beyond just military victory, but even of salvation. That is why, uh, Josh, your observation in verses 1, it says, some of your footnotes, salvation underneath will say uh, victory, okay? Where the language is starting to bleed over to talk beyond just about one time period temporal victory, but beyond to talk about even our salvation, okay? So uh, with this, let's go on. Uh, like, I think there is an order uh, division because verse 1 and 2 is generally in the Hebrew verbs past tense, for lack of a better term, okay? But in verses 3 to 6, uh, I'm kind of summarizing. It's more present tense, okay? It's more present tense feel, okay? Generally as a rule of thumb, okay? As a rule of thumb, okay? If you look uh, here, I think it's now giving more details, okay? So now we see the details of what it is we should rejoice for God for in the victory, okay? Look at with me in verses 3. It teaches us that the rejoice that God has crowned the king. Verses 3. Um, Nancy, would you be able to read verses 3 again? For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. Okay, good, okay? So I think verses 1 is more general. That A, God has given all kinds of blessings. It's just a general statement. Mm-hmm. And the details in verses 3 is what? God is putting a gold, a crown of fine gold on his head, okay? Uh, here, uh, the first um, uh, the crown of fine gold was very likely uh, a little bit of gold that was on a diadem, okay? And then, therefore, it was put on hooks around some kind of wreath around there, okay? Now, the idea of what we think of when you see, you know, like oftentimes we think of gold crown, like the medieval age, uh, such crown wasn't as prominent during that time period. In fact, th- this time period, most crowns were often made out of reef around, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, wood and some leaves, okay? Mm. Well, not wood, uh, some, you know, just basically 
a branch of some mm. sort being twisted like that, okay? Um, but yet there will be also probably dangling ornaments of, of jewelry of some kind, okay? So this would have been showing that God has made who king, okay? Now think about this for a moment. David, is, does the Bible talk a lot about David and him slowly becoming king? Yeah, if you read First Samuel, it's first described the first king, which is named who? Saul. Then First Samuel, the second half of First Samuel is what? David's slow rise to become king. Was it easy for him to become king? No, right? It took a lot of sweat, a lot of enemies, a lot of uh, bad things happened. And then when it finally happens, I think why God made it difficult is so that when David becomes king, he doesn't have pride in himself. But he knows it is who that put him there. It is God. So we should celebrate also as well with the coronation of David becoming king. Why is that important for us 3,000 years later? Is because God's promise that a Messiah will come from who? David's lineage will be a king of king and lord of lord, okay? So here we see the victory that the people rejoice, uh, rejoicing that God has crowned the king, okay? Then look at verses 4. I think we see here there's rejoicing that God has given eternal life, okay? So this is where it goes beyond just a temporal military victory, some small battle, but it goes beyond further. Uh, verses 4, Mr. Burton, would you be able to read verse 4? Thank you, Mr. Burton. He has life of thee, that it's given to him, like the days, forever and ever. Okay. Yeah, so in verses 4, um, yeah, we see here, uh, he asks life of you, right? So the king, remember, he has all these enemies, he's asking God, praying for what, his life. In fact, other Psalms, you'll see David, what, sometimes in very difficult situation. Saul's after him, other enemies, and he's praying to God to save his life from his enemy. So now the people are saying, you know, we know our king David has been praying for his life to be spared. But not only that, God gave him life. He was spared from being killed by his enemy. But notice it goes beyond this in verses 5. Then it talks about the God giving how long of a life to David. Look at verse 4. How long is the life? For? Forever. So do you see how now all of a sudden there's a switch to talk about salvation? Mm. This is more than just a military psalm. This is a very spiritual psalm. Okay? Because now it talks about that God has given eternal life for even David. Okay? By the way, could God also give us eternal life? Yes. Yes. It's possible through one of the seed of David, mm. which is Jesus Christ, who came and he died for our sins. Okay? Do you see the transition now? Uh, so when we read this, we might say, okay, we have nothing to celebrate. That's some small victory battle of way long time. Who remembers this battle? Because this psalm doesn't even tell us the military historical context. But now notice, notice the switch. It looks at one local event, and it goes looking to eternity. Should we also rejoice God that God has given us a means of eternal life? Yeah. Okay. Through Jesus Christ, who as king defeated what? Death and Satan and sin himself, right? And he took away the... Penalty of sin and the power of sin. We're no longer a slave of sin. Though we will struggle with sin, but we are a slave of who? Of Christ. Okay, because we've been redeemed, okay? Sometimes the way we fight sin is we need to remember that. Sometimes we think, oh, I need to fight sin. Oh, I'm enslaved to sin. Maybe if I fight more. Uh, yeah, we need to fight. But we go from knowing that what? Our identity. We're now a slave of Christ. And we say sin, you have no power. And we need to be reminded that we should not have Stockholm Syndrome with what? Sin with that, okay? 
So that's verses 4. Then you see in verses 5, uh, there's also rejoicing that God has gloriously provided salvation. Uh, verses 5, Jin, uh, would you be able to read verses 5? Would that be possible? Psalm uh, 21, verse on. 5. I'd have to sign out. Oh, okay, no, no, you don't have to. Okay, sorry. I don't want you to sign out. Verse uh, 5? Yeah, go ahead, Josh. Sorry. Yeah, okay. uh, his glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty place upon him, for you make him most blessed forever. Yeah. So, salvation is mentioned here, okay? And is the quality, uh, the description of salvation uh, is described here, right? Um, it says, it's fascinating to see that this looks beyond just military victory. Like I said again, but now looks through salvation. What are the description? Uh, it says here is God's glory is manifested in what? Not just with military victory, but as it says here in verses 5, salvation, right? Notice it described in splendor majesty. Um, I'm thinking for next year, as soon as I'm finished with the book of Ruth, uh, Ben has suggested that I actually go through Ephesians. Um, sure. And one of the things was I was thinking as our boys, uh, high school boys, they're going to go to college one day out. That wouldn't it be good if they hear just the richness, the details of salvation. Now, verse 5, living in David's time, they might not know the, as much details of salvation as later developed in the New Testament. But how much more so, if they can rejoice then, how much more could we read and rejoice also as well? Okay, So we see here, verses 5, rejoicing that God has gloriously provided salvation. Okay. Then look at verse 6. We should also be rejoicing that God has allowed the people to be blessed by God's presence forever. Okay? Look at verse 6. For you made him, that is a king, most blessed forever. You made him joyful with gladness in your presence. Okay? This kind of reminds me of Psalm 1611. If you remember the end of Psalm 16? It says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Okay? People oftentimes look for joy in everything else, right? Uh, in things that God has given as gift, but then that gift has been lifted up and become an idol, right? People look for, what, materialism as a source of happiness, wealth, themselves, their own power, um, their friends, their family, whatever else. But God's Word makes it clear that it is in His presence. And this is why we read God's Word. The reason why we read God's Word is, yes, we should listen to read it, to apply for our lives, right? To deal with difficult situations in our life. We need to do that. Sure. To obey Him, which is important because if you love Him, you must obey Him. Um, to be wise. But we must never forget the another reason why we read is to have the joy of actually be before God's presence. Mm. And the closest way you can be before His presence is before His Word. Listening and hearing. Mm. And enjoying simply to enjoy God also as well. Okay? So His application, when God answers our prayers... Do we rejoice to God? Okay, we should rejoice. Okay, uh, do we rejoice to God in the particular? Not just sometimes we just say, you know, what are we thankful for? Thank you, God, for food, for bread, for I don't know. But are you specific, right? Are you very, very specific? Thank for you home. for home, right? Uh, do we say shelter or do we say thank you for this home? Thank you for uh, God is providing for this, right? Also, do we rejoice God providing salvation? That even any time though God answers a temporal thing, just like the people here, though God, they're celebrating a military victory against some real tangible physical enemy, yet did they just only stop there? Did they get, go to the next level, to the spiritual, and even thank God for salvation? Okay? Do we rejoice that God provide for us salvation through the victory of the King of King and Lord of Lord, Jesus Christ Himself? Okay? I think that's a, uh, it's a good lifestyle thing to do that. Okay? 
do that. And even our prayer meeting, it would be great to mention what we're thankful to God for also as well. In the particular, also as well, okay? Uh, we do have a lot to be thankful for, okay? And I think sometimes why God allows trials in our life is that when we go to the other end, we give God what? The testimony and the praise, okay? Perhaps I don't mention this enough in my preaching about giving God the testimony of our trials. But definitely it's a biblical thing that when we do, we celebrate, but even then we go beyond and think about the spiritual and the salvation as well. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's go to point number two. We should anticipate a future final triumph of God. This is found in verses 7 through 13, okay? In Psalm 21, verses 7 to 13, this is what it teaches, okay? Uh, and the reason why we could anticipate God's final victory is not because of what we do or other humans do, but the final victory is because of what? Of who God is. Look at verses 7. I think verses 7 is the anchor and is the foundation of why we could have hope that there'll be a final triumph of God one day. And if you look at verse 7, it's not based upon anything we do or other humans do, but it's actually based upon God and a specific attribute of God is mentioned. Verses 7, um, Nancy, would you be able to read verse 7 out loud? For the king trusts in the Lord and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Okay, thank you so much. Here uh, it talks about the king trusts in the Lord, okay? Verses 7, the word for there is giving a reason why there is victory. It is not because of the king in himself, but it's what? King David is trusting in God, okay, right? In the Lord, okay? Then it describes an attribute of God. What is that attribute or character of God that is mentioned in verse 7? Mercy. Mercy, okay? Your version translated mercy. Josh, what does your version say? Loving verse kindness. Seven? Loving kindness, okay? Yeah. Uh, in Hebrew, it is the word chesed or hesed, okay? That's a word of love, God's loyal love, which should remind us when we see that word is actually, I think, this is reminding us of God's covenant, okay? Of God's covenant with David. Okay, God's covenant with David is it because David was deserving of it. No, because what David at times would sin, right? right. And then it's not contingent, but it's because surely of God's loving kindness. Okay, but if you remember, what is the promise God made to David? That there will be from him a seed, that will be a king, that will rule for how long? Forever. Okay, doesn't mean every one of his children and lineage is good, because there's some really bad kings from David's line too, right? Who are some of those bad kings? You guys remember some of them? Who, who are some Saul. of those bad? Saul. Okay. Yeah, Ahab. Saul was before. Ahab. Okay, good. Okay. So all these other kings, there's some that mess up royally. Okay. With all pun intended. Okay. But then there are some kings that what? We're good. But yes, they're not perfect. And only one is perfect. That is Jesus Christ. Okay. So as you see, verses 7, the king trusts in the Lord. And through the Lord's what? Loving kindness. Right? We will not be shaken, okay? What a beautiful verse that you and Mr. Byrne point out in observation, right? Mm. That what a beautiful hope. Why would we not be shaken in our troubles and conflict? And even for the king, even in the times of great war, is because of God's loving kindness, okay? Then in verses 8 to 12, the verbs are also changed. Remember earlier I said verses 1 to 2 is more past tense. Verses 3 to 6 is more present tense. Mm. Then now there's another tense. Now we know past has already been used, present tense, and now there's another Kind of tense, what kind of tense do you guys think is the future, okay? Verses 8 to 12 is that verbs generally are future tense. And I think it's to convey the ongoing success of the king, okay? 
In fact, I think he looks beyond there now and now looks at the King, Jesus Christ, okay? With his victory, okay? Now, in verses 8, you see that it is certain the king's enemy will be eliminated, okay? It is certain that God's enemies will be eliminated. Verses 8, Josh, could you read that out loud? Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. Yeah, so in verses... A fiery oven in the time of your anger. Yeah, okay. We'll stop there in verse 8 first, right? It says, your hand, now is referring to using the hand analogy, okay? Oh. Talking about the king, and the people is now talking to the king and saying this will happen, okay? Your hand will find out all your enemies, okay? Then it talks about one specific hand. Your right hand will find out those who what? Hate you, okay? Oh. So it shows in verses 8, okay? Uh, verses 8 here, the totality of the enemy being eliminated, okay? I think this is talking about the Messiah coming back. By the way, Malachi also talks of this. Put your pinky or thumb about uh, God's, uh, as it says in... Uh, a verse, oh, I'm sorry. So I'm dropping the gun. Verses uh, 8, okay. But in verses 9, actually, turn with me, uh, yeah, turn with me to Malachi first. Malachi 4 1. This is going to help illuminate the next verse. Uh, okay. Verse 9. Malachi is right before Matthew, okay. The last book of the Old Testament. Malachi 4 1. Uh, Mr. Burton, would you be able to read that? Sure, <clears throat> so Malachi 4 1. Yeah. Just, just verse 1? Yeah, verse 1. Mm-hmm. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogance of every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set those ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, mm. so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Okay, remember the wording here. This is talking about the Lord coming back. Lord of hosts, by the way, the Lord of hosts means angelic beings or armies, okay? Uh-huh. Or soldiers, right? Or angelic soldiers, right? Uh-huh. And it's saying that God's going to come back like a furnace or the Messiah. I, I think the line in Malachi is, um, this is one of the reasons why I think the idea of the Messiah being God is not a New Testament invention by Christians in 325 AD, as you see sometimes people say in Da Vinci sure. Code and stuff. Uh-huh. But it's already Old Testament seed is already there, yes. okay? So you see the Lord of hosts, because it says Yahweh. He'll be coming back. Now turn back with me to Psalm 21, verses 9. It says, You will make them a, as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will sow on his vow, and fire will devour them. Do you see the same imagery? Uh, the same word, furnace or oven, being mentioned here. God's anger. But now this is talking about a king. Okay, The king is going to have this. And you're like, wait, wait, is this a human king? Or is there something more also as well, okay? Then if you look with me in verses 10, it says they will be destroyed, right? All their of that. Their offspring you, you will yeah. destroy from the earth and their descendants from yeah. among the sons of men. Yeah, okay. Uh, so you see here this imagery here in verses uh, that is, this is not talking about just any other king's enemies. But I think it's now talking about the Messiah, okay? The Messiah, in line of the theme of salvation being mentioned, it's saying that the Messiah one day will be what? Will be... Victorious against his what enemies, okay? Um, with this in verses 8 through 12, okay? Um, so you see here, um, verses 9 to 10, the totality of his enemy being eliminated. Then you look at verses 11 to 12, you see the justice of the king's enemy be eliminated, okay? Um, in verses 11, you'll see that his enemies are described as they intended evil. We'll stop there real quick. So this is not just the king's just arbitrary enemies. Just because he's in power and therefore he doesn't like certain people. This is actually, his enemies are immoral enemies. Does that make sense? 
Because it says this. And yet their devised plan, will they be successful? No. no. God will frustrate them. Okay? And then therefore, in, in light of this, the, the details is seen in verse 12. God who says, For you will make them turn their back. You will aim with their bowstring at their face. Could you imagine a bowstring at their face? How uncomfortable that is, right? If some bowstring is pointing at your face. And yet says, God will have this. Turn around with that, okay? So that we now see in verses 13, the final praise. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise you forever. Uh, praise your power, okay? Verses 1 is repeated again in verses 13. Last verse and first verse has the thing in common what? O Lord, in your strength. Okay? All these details is to say we are praising God in the details, okay? Uh, with all of this, okay? Now, for us, some of us, we might not feel comfortable, okay? See, uh, reading this, um, maybe not so much here, but some Christians could be uncomfortable saying, wait, it described actual details of the, uh, the description of what? Enemies of God being destroyed, oh, right? right? But I think in order to bring about God's second coming, in order to win over victory, that also means is inevitable what? That those who oppose Him will be what? Mm. Will be judged. Uh, will be judged, okay? Now, we do pray for our enemies, right? Matthew right. 4, uh, 544, all those passages, right? We pray for um, our enemies. We pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 510, right? Mm. We pray for that. But nevertheless, also in the end, there are either those that surrender and those that don't. Maybe the, think of the example I'm thinking about is, do you remember what happened Black Friday? Uh, there was a big news on Black Friday, not in America, but in England, mm. in London Bridge. You guys remember what happened? Oh, yeah, yeah. What happened? Shot some of them. Yeah. Yeah, this one guy wanted to basically was a terrorist. He was arrested before I don't know what he was. Yeah, he knifed people, okay? And you remember there was I don't think I saw the picture where that one guy uh took out a was it the narwhal tusk? Narwhal tusk to, to go against that, right? And somebody else had a fire extinguisher. Yeah, fire extinguisher and they finally stopped him and then the police came and then they dragged everyone away and then they finally shot him in the head, right? Um and then he, he died, okay? Now with this, um it is sad, right? It is sad that two people died. Two victims, okay? But nevertheless, in order, because there is a real evil, and evil need to be eliminated, is there a sense, where, is it proper that people rejoice and say, wow, there was these guys that were heroes, that stopped, that even brought a narwhal, right, and wrestled with the guy down. Yeah, okay? Now, of course, the process of that, when we celebrate, yeah, by necessary um, presupposition is that the guy had to be stopped. Does that make sense? But, it, but when we rejoice, we're not just rejoicing, oh, yeah, the bad guy stopped. Yeah, we do that. But also we rejoice in the good guy winning, right? That there was evil that was stopped. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to say is this. Because evil does not stop, therefore we have to, by necessary consequences, praise God for victory over, when there is victory over that is evil. Because evil is really, really evil. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say is like if someone's back in the corner and therefore just the person is there, right? Um, and the people had no choice because this guy's going crazy with a knife. But God, therefore, uses other individuals to stop it. We rejoice in that, right? Not because we're blood, gory, thirsty people, but just like here, when the people rejoice, it's because there are real, tangible enemies. I bring this to say that when you put in that context, I think when you read these Psalms, it makes more sense. Otherwise, you'll read and say, whoa, it's so sad. Why is even the offspring everything limited? No, these are people that in the end, we're praying for them, we want them to repent. But in the end, when they don't repent, in the end, when God comes back, we do want Him to be victorious over evil and sin. We know what it's like to undergo that. And we also yearn for His second coming. This is why we rejoice in that also as well. Does that help kind of explain a little bit what's going on? Is that Okay. So in light of this, in closing, we do rejoice in God 
Okay? Uh, we celebrate God giving victories. Uh, as we saw, point number one, rejoice and pass victories from God. And point number two, anticipate final future triumphs of God. Okay? Final future victories. And think about this for a moment. Um, I don't often go there, but sometimes at work, we have some very difficult people, yes? Yeah. That, you know, are heathens that have nothing to do with God. And sometimes oh. they even know we're Christians and give us, what, a hard time. Yeah. Okay? But sometimes God delivers us, right? Huh? A difficult work situation. And sometimes there is a place to rejoice. Not that we want to celebrate people's downfall, but we rejoice that, wow, God has still been taking care of us. Not that we're perfect, but God has been gracious, and we celebrate that, and even also as well, for final triumphant future victory also as well. Okay? So we close.